2: Outside the city limits of LaGrange, Texas, sits a ruined ramshackle of a building, splintered by time and exposure to the elements, vandalized by locals, and littered with the marks of curious, musical-loving sightseers. But now, imagine this place 75 years ago. It's a farmhouse, whitewashed in the Texas sunshine, inhabited by a hive of busy women, living under the strict rules maintained by their matriarch. The madam of the house they eat at appointed times of day no vulgar language is permitted these girls are to behave as ladies and each evening before 7 pm they are expected to change into evening dresses and await the bell that calls them to the parlor where they'll greet their nightly guests welcome to the texas chicken ranch but in this house of ill repute there is very little interest in poultry it's Don Wildman here. Welcome back to American History Hit. And today we've got an unusual, rather body story to tell. Remember that great blues guitar anthem from the 70s, La Grange by ZZ Top? Here, I'll give it my best shot. Oh, hey, (laughs) so good. And then there was the long running Broadway show that was called uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. You heard of it, which eventually got made into a big splashy Hollywood musical starring Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Now, what esteemed institution of the American West do you expect deserved such cultural commemoration? Well, it was the Texas Chicken Ranch, that legendary house of ill repute located for most of the 20th century in or around the city of LaGrange in southern Texas, halfway between Austin and Houston. And today we have Jamie Bloschke, author of Inside the Texas Chicken Ranch, the definitive book on the subject, says so right there on the cover. Hello, Jamie. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you. Thank you, Don. Happy to be here. It's quite a subject to undertake, the history of an infamous brothel. It's unlikely rise and some would say tragic downfall. What drew you into this particular uh, nook of nookie? (laughs) <laughs> it was not
3: intended, I can assure you. Uh I grew up in a small town about 20 miles away from Lagrange, so growing up I heard references to it constantly. When I went to college, I went to Texas A&M, which has a history that is intertwined with the chicken ranch. And in 2007, when Marvin Zindler, the consumer affairs reporter for KTRK in Houston, died of pancreatic cancer, all the obituaries led with the fact that he was the television personality that closed the chicken ranch. And so I talked to my wife, I said, you know, we'd never heard the true story, the real story behind it, you know, because we suspected that the movie with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton wasn't a documentary, you know, kind of went out on a limb there. Uh, So we started looking around and realized that There had never been an actual serious history written about the place. And this offended me and upset me and bothered me. And one day my wife said, quit complaining about it and write the book yourself. So I was kind of on the
2: spot. So let's establish right away, when was it started and how did it get its name, Chicken Ranch?
3: How it started is kind of a moving target. You can trace sex work back to LaGrange, which was one of the earliest settlements in Texas, certainly One of the earliest Anglo settlements in Texas, going back to about 1844, which is when Texas was still an independent nation. Since it was a small place, you can kind of trace the lineage from this brothel to the next brothel to the next brothel all the way up to the point where it becomes the Chicken Ranch. The Chicken Ranch, as we know it, started in 1915 when local brothel owners recruited and brought in Jesse Williams to act as a front to their operations. Mm-hmm. At the time, there was a lot of reformations, anti-vice campaigns going on. Jessie had owned a brothel in Guytown Town in Austin, a vice district in Austin, up until 1913 when the city passed an ordinance closing it. And so she was out of work. And so 1914, they brought her into LaGrange to take over and be a front for their Operations thinking, I suppose this is you know speculation here that a woman's face would uh, soften the image of the brothels and make it more acceptable. Well, Jessie had owned her own brothel and she wasn't content just to be a front. So within a year, she had taken over and consolidated all the vice in Lagrange under her leadership, her ownership, and seeing these campaigns going on in other cities around the state and around the country, bought 11 acres of land outside the city limits and relocated out into the county away from the city. So kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then when she established the brothel out of town, she began a public relations campaign, started donating money to various charitable causes in town. It was A very straight-laced, upright brothel, if that makes any sense. It was probably one of the most conservative brothels you could have come across.
2: Right. I mean, that's what gives it its good name is the sense that it was uh, apparently very well run compared to most. I want to give this a little historical context. Hollywood, it's stock stuff in the Westerns, portraying sex work in the Old West as this kind of whimsical affair. The crinoline gowns. She's the trusted pal of the protagonist. Yeah, Miss Kitty from Gunsmoke. Yeah, or Cloris Leachman and Butch Cassidy. These hard-bitten, faded flower women. I suppose there was some truth to this character, but is it fair to put the Texas Chicken Ranch into that context at all? The thing
3: that people have to realize that the Chicken Ranch Was not special in any way, shape, or form. Just generally speaking, in most of 20th century Texas, certainly in 19th century Texas, you could not throw a stick. Without hitting a country brothel. It wasn't elegant. It was a country farmhouse that happened to house sex workers. A lot of them had the euphemism, it's a boarding house. The boarders there, the sex workers, would entertain guests you know, on a continuous basis. And the chicken ranch was probably distinctive in that, well, first of all, it was the last one standing by the 1970s. All the rest had closed through various means or circumstances. But through the 20th century, it was owned first by Jesse Williams and then by Edna Milton. And that set it apart because the women were treated better. They had better food to eat. You know, If you research prostitution sex work in Texas throughout the 20th century or going back far, it was really horrific. Mm-hmm. It was not a good thing. Many careers, many ways and means of earning a living were closed off to women by law there were many laws in place that says women are not allowed to do this. So often sex work was the only option, especially if uh, you had a child out of wedlock or had become a quote unquote fallen woman through some other means. And so often sex work was Mm -hmm. the only option for them. At the chicken ranch, they were treated much better than they would anywhere else. And a lot of people ask me, was the chicken ranch good or bad? And I say, well, Throughout the majority of the 20th century, the Chicken Ranch was the least worst option for any of these women.
2: Exactly. How does the name Chicken Ranch come to pass? How do they get that name? Okay. The popular story, the one that Jesse Williams promoted, was that during the
3: Great Depression, Nobody had any money. So the patrons that they had, who were mostly poor farmers, would pay in livestock, predominantly poultry. I see. And after a while, there are chickens roaming all around the property. When I interviewed Edna Milton, uh, she threw up her hands and insisted that was the most ridiculous story, that the real story you know, Jesse heard someone say that and said, hey, this is great because these women were really good at marketing and said, okay, I'm going to repeat that. But the truth was that in the early 1930s, there was a grand jury seated that was looking into various bison brothels and you know, looking to clean up. Fayette County. And so some of the power brokers in the community suggested, well, you know, there's a lot of people setting up uh, little chicken farms around here. So if you go down to the hatchery and get yourself some chicks and turn them loose, uh, go down the tax rolls as a chicken farm and maybe they'll just kind of let you slide. And so that's what she did. A, you know, the grand jury's term expired and, you know, the name chicken farm, stock. Uh, Eventually, it morphed into Chicken Ranch, but it's a little less interesting of a story than saying various patrons and farmers would come in there with a bag full of chickens to pay for the services of the sex workers.
2: So the movie, the stories are about the fight to keep the place open, You know, that sort of classic, uh, let's beat the man at this game thing. But this was already a kind of legendary place. Can you just break it down into some eras for me? You're mentioning Edna and Jesse. Historically speaking, how did they go through the 20th century? You
3: know, Jesse Williams grew up in Waco, Texas, which uh, is interesting because Waco was the first city in Texas to have a legal vice district and actually the second in the U.S. to have a legal vice district, which people find ironic today because it's the home of Baylor (laughs) University, the largest Baptist college in the nation. And she moved when her father remarried. Her mother died in the late 1880s, I believe. Her father remarried in the late... 1890s. She was still Faye Stewart at the time. Faye and her sister moved from Waco to Austin. At some point, they, or at least Faye, changes her name to Jesse Williams, starts working in the Guy Town Vice District in Austin. Because remember, this is the turn of the century. Legalized vice districts, restricted areas were considered the best way to deal with vice, whether it's you know predominantly prostitution, sex work, or... Gambling, you know, just segregate it into a restricted vice district and keep it from spilling over into the rest of the community.
2: Don't you find it interesting that most of American vice, be it sex work, alcohol, drug abuse, you name it, has gone through this passage of there was a time when people did it. They tried to sort of control it by allowing it to happen. And, you know, it was sort of known about. And then it gets repressed and then it finds its way out. It's the same journey for all. These different kinds of experiences. It's such a theme of American society. It's absolutely cyclical. And greater minds than
3: I have tried to come up with the solution on how to manage vice, whether it's sex work or anything else. And thus far, you know, they've pretty much failed. You have europe and the scandinavian model which seems promising you have nevada with legalized sex work there which has some issues and there's you know push and pull there's no real answer to this perpetual question that has proven thoroughly successful and you know i gotta say in my research through the various eras in Texas when you've had it legalized and when you've had it illegal and criminalized, men seem to be the big problem. If I can be blunt, you know, they're pimps. And these are essentially parasites and Regardless of your opinion on women operating as sex workers, here you have these parasitic men who are very often abusive and very often skimming the bulk of the earnings off. And this existed whether it's criminalized or legalized. You know, this is a certain aspect. And that's why I found most problematic about the situation.
2: And that's the more colorful, friendlier side of this story is that you have these madams, these sort of domos over the operation and Jesse first and then Edna, and they kind of give the flavor of the place. And they also keep out the unfavorable, unsavory aspect of things, kicking out the drunks and so forth, but probably also organized crime, I would imagine. Well, the chicken ranch was established in the era where Texas was still very rural,
3: extremely frontier. And the sheriff was considered the high sheriff. This is a term dating back to European times where the sheriff is essentially the power broker and holds the most influence within the county. And law enforcement was tolerant up to a point. And the chicken ranch was there for one reason and one reason only. And if they deviated from that, going into other areas of vice, say gambling or dealing narcotics, law enforcement was paranoid about narcotics and illicit drugs in this era. You know, during Prohibition, they're not allowed to sell alcohol. The whole you know stereotype: get the guest in there, get them drunk, get them intoxicated, and then fleece them for everything they have. You know, that didn't happen at the Chicken Ranch. It was again straight laced, conservative. Uh, you. You You had politicians attending, you had wealthy high rollers. But then again, you also had dirt farmers, you had college students, you had all representation of society Mm -hmm. as long as you were white and occasionally Hispanic was allowed in. But, you know, this was still Jim Crow South, so it was pretty strongly
2: segregated. I'll be back with more American history after this short break.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. I'm Afua Hush.
1: I'm Peter Frankopan.
0: And in our podcast Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history.
1: This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra,
0: an iconic life full of romances, sieges, and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra?
1: Cleopatra and Cleopatra's Nose.
0: Follow Legacy Now wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can binge entire seasons early and ad-free on Wondery+. I'm Eleanor Yonaga, and I'm thrilled to be joining Matt Lewis to co-present Gone Medieval from History Hit.
1: Twice a week, every week, we set out to answer the big questions that have vexed people for centuries. Like, what did the Romans ever do for us? Roads, buildings, walls, churches, houses, manuscripts. Why did Edward I
0: mourn his Queen Eleanor so much? He was very good at making a show for people to see that was going to influence how they would understand him or his campaigns or anything like that.
1: Did Viking hero Ragnar Lothbrok really exist?
0: Maybe yes, maybe no. The sons who were attributed to him were definitely real people. So join me, Eleanor Janaga.
1: And me, Matt Lewis, for Gone Medieval from History Hit.
0: Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So a brothel is nothing without the workers. How do these women find their way there? How long do they stay? Is it kind of a family? Can we romanticize this a bit? There can be a little bit of romanticizing. Now, I don't have as
3: much information on Jesse's tenure because the only specific person who worked there that I was able to speak with was Edna and she was a little tight-lipped about that. There was turnover at that point. There was one of the sex workers had the colorful name of Deaf Eddie because she was hard of hearing. And she arrived there sometime in the 1930s and was one of the sex workers. She stayed long enough to age out and became sort of a house manager. She was still there in the 1950s when Edna showed up and started working as one of the sex workers there. And to that extent, yeah, some of the women did stay longer than others. Now, when Edna took over, she made some rule changes. Jessie was more of a taskmaster. She required women to pay rent continuously throughout the month and work throughout the month, even during their menstrual cycle. Edna said, you know, that's kind of ridiculous, you know, so the women who were working there, sex workers, would be able to work for three weeks and then have one week off and not have to pay. It still was ostensibly a boarding house. And so they would have to pay rent when they were there. And they would also be required to pay a percentage of their earnings, about like a 60-40 split. So the house was pretty profitable. But again, it offered a refuge, particularly when Edna was operating it. They ate very well probably better than any other place a sex worker could be in Texas. Edna told me that some of the women would show up and they would you know, be gaunt and skinny and have a hollow look in their eyes because they'd been working on the streets. And after a couple of weeks, they'd have eaten well, put some meat on their bones. They wouldn't have that spooked, skittish look to them anymore. They would be more comfortable. They would feel safer. They would know that there's not a beating or a mugging waiting Mm -hmm. for them around the corner. And according to Edna, now she's not always the most reliable of witnesses, but a lot of the women, once they started working at the chicken ranch, they would stay at the chicken ranch until they got to the point they left sex work entirely.
2: Jamie, tell me how close this movie comes to the truth. I mean, is there any fact to this fiction? There is fact, and there
3: are grains of truth. The uh, Broadway play paints the story in very broad strokes, and the movie takes even greater liberties to it. The fact of the matter is the Chicken Ranch closed August 1st, 1973. That's 50 years ago, after a series of television exposés by Marvin Zindler, a consumer affairs reporter in Houston on television. Zindler claimed that he was tipped off by the attorney general's office. Uh, I learned through my research that that wasn't exactly true. Zindler was recruited by an assistant attorney general, Herb Hancock. Herb Hancock wanted the chicken ranch closed because he believed it was a front for organized crime, that there was a great deal of corruption that was allowing it to exist and continue to operate. Now, again, realize the Chicken Ranch had a history dating back more than 100 years to 1844. Several generations of sheriffs had overseen it. It had a very strict operating parameters that they were Continuing to function under the Texas Rangers knew about it. Pretty much all the politicians in Austin, all the elected officials, the governors, the lieutenant governors. That said, you know, so the Chicken Ranch was not a secret, and the Chicken Ranch had a reputation by the early '70s of this is the place you want to go to. They run a clean ship, and they are discreet, even though everyone knows about it. Okay, realize the ZZ Top song. I always thought that it came out in response to the closure. No, the ZZ Top song came out before the chicken ranch was closed. It came out the summer before. What had happened is that there was a corrupt officer in the criminal intelligence division, Houston office of the Texas Department of Public Safety. He was essentially acting as a pimp and a drug dealer. He had a sex worker placed at the wagon wheel, which was another brothel at the time, didn't have as good a reputation as the chicken ranch. And she was caught dealing drugs to customers and the other sex workers. Well, the anti-drug paranoia at the time resulted in her getting kicked out immediately. She goes up the highway, gets on with the chicken ranch, and in short order was caught doing the same thing there. And so... They fired her and kicked her out. At this time, those were essentially the only two high profile brothels left in Texas. And this corrupt officer was incensed and went to them and said, You will hire her back or else. And Edna responded, Bigger men than you have tried, bring it on. So this is probably late 1971. 1972, the DPS office in Houston starts staking out the chicken ranch. Now realize this was outside their jurisdiction. You know, Houston even to this day, has no shortage of vice. You know, keep this in mind. There's some seriously awful stuff that goes there. In early 1970s, it was far worse. So you have these DPS officers without approval or endorsement from DPS headquarters, the Texas Rangers in Austin, are staking out this brothel, taking down license plates and everything. That results in a somewhat famous confrontation between the sheriff of Fayette County who, again, was the king of his domain and these DPS officers. And the sheriff reportedly went to them and said, y'all from intelligence? And they said, yes, sir. And he goes, well, it don't take much intelligence to figure out what's going here. Any schoolboy in Texas knows what's going on here. And essentially ran him out of the county. And the corrupt officer realized that he would not be able to close down the chicken ranch. Through direct means. He had to use subterfuge. So they began a whisper campaign in Houston. How can we be expected to enforce the vice laws here in Houston when, you know, 45 minutes up the road, these other brothels, these country brothels are operating openly? Everyone's laughing at us. We're a laughing stock. Pretty soon, they had that attitude had infected not only the DPS division there in Houston, but also the sheriff's department, the Houston City Police, and the district attorney there, who was Herb Hancock. Herb Hancock was hired by the newly elected state attorney general, John Hill, as an assistant attorney general. Herb Hancock brought this mindset that there was this massive corruption a cancer eating at Texas from this supposed organized crime that was keeping these brothels open. And he realized that he could not close them through you know direct means. There was no appetite in Austin at any level of law enforcement to go after the chicken mm-hmm. ranch because you had governors, you had state legislatures, you had all these powerful figures going there. He was friends with Marvin Zimmer, who had been in the sheriff's department. He was one of the deputies working in the Harris County Sheriff's Department until there was an election turnover and he lost his job and he was picked up by the TV station.
2: So it's really the fact that the news station gets involved and all this sort of media happens and the governor's there. It's That's when things get very dramatic. The unspoken aspect of this, which I find fascinating, is the emergence of Texas in the larger national scheme of things. I mean, it's already an incredibly important place, but it's getting to be a more sophisticated, cosmopolitan, diverse state over the this course of time, right? I mean, something is happening in Texas that is being accounted for. Well, you have absolutely hit the nail on the head because this is a case
3: where the old Texas, the rural frontier agrarian economy came into direct conflict with the modern high-tech urban space age, right? Texas. These are two very, very different cultures. The old frontier with the cowboys and the horseback and everything, they didn't have you know, broadcast media. This was still new at the time. And suddenly, everyone knew the chicken ranch existed in the state. The only people who didn't know that the chicken ranch existed were the people who didn't want to know the chicken ranch existed. And that was fine. But as soon as you put that and start broadcasting this on Television and it went national. It was picked up coast to coast. There were stories about this. Suddenly, that's when it becomes bad. That's when it becomes unacceptable. And, you know, the population of LaGrange really resented outsiders coming in and telling them, hey, y'all shouldn't be operating this way. They said, well, we've operated this way 150 years. Who are you to come in and tell us how to do it? But when they started getting That television coverage, that attention was unwanted,
2: and that was where the problem lies. I think you've nailed it with your book in that this is an incredibly important story, larger than itself in this era that we're in now, because Texas emerging as a different kind of state, I dare say purple state coming down the road, is going to play an increasingly huge role, even bigger than it already has in the story of the United States going forward from this moment. And the Texas chicken ranch, as charming as that is, is kind of a symbol of the old times meeting the new. Very particular in its telling, but I mean, it's it's nonetheless a symbol of the old Texas versus the new Texas and what's really happening down the road for the country in, at large. It's amazing that in the course of a decade, you can see just how much the Chicken
3: Ranch perceptions change. In uh, 1972, I believe it was, who would become Lieutenant Governor Bill Hobby ran for election. He went to Sheriff Lornoy the sheriff of Fayette County and asked, you know, can you help my election campaign? And Flournoy said, yes, give me whatever materials you need and we'll get it done. So after the election, Bill Hobby's wife was sending out thank you notes. And she came to Bill and said, Sheriff Flournoy is being very evasive when I'm asking him who helped send out our campaign mailers in Fayette County. Can you talk to him? So he went and talked to him and the sheriff goes, well, I took all your mailers to the chicken ranch and those ladies there addressed them and stamped them and mailed them out. I think we want to keep that to ourselves. Okay. So literally the chicken ranch helped Bill Hobby get elected. This guy is a legend in Texas politics. Fast forward to the late 1980s and the governor's race between Ann Richards and Clayton Williams. It came out during the course of the campaign that Clayton Williams as a student at Texas A&M Frequented the chicken ranch. And that was, again, a big national scandal. And he ended up losing the governor's race to Ann Richards in part because of that revelation. So the chicken ranch had gone from electing politicians to torpedoing those politicians' campaigns. That's very fast, very quick turnaround, you know, in you know historical terms.
2: Interesting. I mean, as Texas goes, so goes the nation, in my opinion, my humble opinion. I think there's lots of other ways of putting that as well. But I think that you're going to definitely find a still emerging state. I mean, for years, I wanted to do a TV series that just stayed within the borders of Texas, because I think you basically have the entire nation there. You know, it's big enough to be its own nation, of course. But where Texas will go in the next 50 years is where America will be. And uh, it's a fascinating tale. I'm going to plug your book one more time, Jamie. It's called Inside the Texas Chicken Ranch, The Definitive Account of the Best Little Whorehouse. You love the play. Now read the book.
3: This is the 50th anniversary edition because it was 1973. The chicken ranch shuttered its doors forever, and it's been 50 years. It's hard to believe that, you know, some people don't even realize all of this was based on actual true history.
2: I'm old enough to think that 50 years doesn't sound like that much time anymore. You and me both. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of American History Hit. I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time. This podcast includes music from Epidemic Sound.